0: Good morning. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 37. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, "'Who do you say I am?' They replied, "'Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets.'" But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples he rebuked Peter. Get behind me Satan he said. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples and said if anyone would come to me He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forego his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Praise be to God.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Colin Opie. I come from uh, down all the way from Torquay so I've had my flight, I've had my passport control, I've, I've entered the southernmost bit of Devon and uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm talking to a congregation who will at least be able to understand my accent. So that is uh, very pleasing. Um, I'd like to thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, a number of people have spoken to me this morning very warmly, and I thank you uh, for that. Uh, for Helen, for the reading. Uh, bless you, uh, Ogo, for the prayers. And I do send uh, and bring to you uh, our greetings from Upton Vale. Uh, you know there is, there is some kind of connection between us at various times, and uh, it is good to be uh, here with you this morning. Now, it always um, kind of amazes me the way the Spirit brings things together in in prayer and in song and in the Word. And sometimes I wonder why I'm here, because I've already heard my sermon about twice uh, during the service so far and through the prayers. But that's good, because it's a reminder to us and we can press home message that God has for us here this morning. And um, we are slap bang in the middle of Mark 8, uh, of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 8. It's pretty well this central bit. And it's a turning point in the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ here. Um, And Mark, he he writes in a very rapid way, uh, sort of gunfire type way. Uh, It's always... Oh, Jesus was here, then he was there, then this went on and that went on. And he writes in rapid succession all the time. It's fast, it's furious, and and there's things going on. Now, if there are any film buffs uh, around here, I am not talking about fast cars when I say fast and furious. Right? And if you don't understand what I mean by that, find a film buff and, and you'll know. Um, but we are seeing the power of Jesus at work through that region where he was working at the time. And his followers, his closest followers, are still saying, who is this? Who is this person? Now, I want to remind us of just two episodes, very quickly, that have led us to this point in Mark's Gospel. The first one is in chapter 4. The disciples were in a boat, they were in a storm, and they were terrified. It says uh, in in chapter 4, verse 41, they were terrified. And they were saying, who is this that calms a storm? Who is this that can say a word and the wind stops? And so Jesus has to look at them and say to them, well, why are you so afraid? why? You've seen the miracles, you've seen what I've done, and yet you are afraid. Do you still have no faith? And then secondly in chapter 6, Jesus fed roughly 5,000 people, 5,000 men. There was no comment on this by the disciples at the time. Go and read it in chapter 6. There was no great exuberation going on there. They just did what they were told and that was it. But later on in that chapter, in verses 47-52, the disciples were in another boat, and they were in another storm. And Jesus walks to them on the water, and it says there again, they were terrified. So they're going on, and things are getting worse, and the storms are getting worse, and they still don't understand. And Mark says they didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. Our hearts were hardened. They'd seen things, but it wasn't making sense. You see, they were struggling with trying to see who Jesus really was. They'd heard the teaching, they'd seen the calming of the storms, they'd seen various miracles, they'd even taken part in some miracles. Jesus had sent them off and they had done it themselves. But there were still questions. Who is this man? Who is he? And so we come to chapter 8. And we get a glimpse of just one misunderstanding that was going on at this time. We can see it in verses 11 to 13. Chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. And uh, Jesus and the disciples are in a place called Dalmanutra and a series of Pharisees come along and start questioning Jesus. And they are asking for a sign. Now, I don't want you to get too, uh, and those listening online, I don't want you to get too carried away with all these phrases like Pharisees, and so, like, uh, who are they? You know, and, and what's this about sign from heaven? If you want, try and compare it to, I don't know, uh, Tokyo United supporters, you know, trying to look for a goal. They might as well be in the same boat. Um, you know, it's just the name of a group of people. But these were religious people, and they had the view of a saviour who was going to destroy their enemies that was going to come in a kind of militaristic kind of way and enforce his will upon the people and get rid of the Roman Empire that was uh, troubling them and they said we want a sign from heaven, we've seen the things that you've done, we've seen you healing people, we've seen you talking to the poor, we've seen you eating with sinners is what they called them and uh, but we want to see a sign from heaven. And Jesus turns around and says, no, I'm not going to do it. Because they were looking for a sign of the Jesus that they wanted. It was their Jesus that they wanted the sign for. And thus far, far, the signs that they had seen had not convinced them that Jesus Christ was that person. It was the wrong kind of person. They had the wrong idea. Peter, in verses 27 to 33, actually has pretty well the same misunderstanding. Jesus asks him, who do you say I am? And Peter turns to and says, you're the Messiah, you're the Saviour, you're the one we've been looking for. So he's a bit further ahead than the Pharisees. But you see, Peter too had the wrong idea. He too had this idea that Jesus wasn't going to die on a cross as a suffering servant for his people. He was going to be the person to get rid of the Romans, same as the Pharisees thought. Jesus wasn't going to die, that's not possible. Jesus had come to save them. Jesus, on the other hand, turned around and said, no, 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 no. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to serve people. I want you to care for the children. I want you to feed the poor. I want you to treat your neighbour as yourself. And this was not Peter's idea at all. And we get our own misunderstandings, which is where this is leading to. We have our own misconceptions We may hear, or we may even see, uh, say, ourselves, you know, ah, Jesus hasn't answered my prayer. Ah, Jesus can't love me, uh, sort of person I am. Or Jesus, or this must be God punishing me for not being a good person, surely. And we get our misconceptions. We start to look at a Jesus that is our Jesus, not the Jesus of the Gospels. And we start getting things wrong. And the question is, who are we trusting? Who is this? Which Jesus are we actually looking at? And in this passage, in this chapter, we actually get three ways in which Jesus comes alongside and helps us to sort out our misunderstandings. And first, he does this through displaying his love and his power in our lives. In verses 1 to 10, we read of a second feeding miracle. Now, the difference between these two is important. There's much more desperation this time around. The people have been with Jesus for three days. Now, that's way outside our culture. We, we wouldn't go walking somewhere for three days with no food. Huh? But there are places, uh, particularly the uh, uh, African states and so on, where you would easily walk for three days without feeding. And then you'd have this great feast at the end. That'd be great. So people are used to it. Other cultures are used to it. But it doesn't alter the fact that after three days, you're pretty hungry. And in that area, it says there wasn't anywhere for these people to buy food. So that's different to the previous time. The situation is much more desperate. And Jesus is saying here, look, I'm repeating this miracle because I can still supply your needs. It doesn't matter how desperate Things get. I can still do this. He was showing a passionate, compassionate teaching to his disciples. More desperation, but it makes no difference. The disciples had not understood the first time that Jesus could supply all their needs. They hadn't understood the first time that actually taking part in the miracle was Jesus' teaching them that they were being called to be the same servant type saviour that he was, that Jesus was. They had not understood this. If we bring it right up to date now, in these days we have soaring food and energy prices and we start to to get it into a certain desperation over how we are going to cope. It makes... No difference. Jesus is the same Jesus. And he's the same Jesus who can provide from our meagre resources. He also does it, you know, through rebuke. is how he teaches. Yes, sometimes Jesus actually does rebuke us. When Jesus answered the Pharisees, when they were asking for this sign, and he turned around and said no. That word no in the uh, original is actually the word a, and it means if. It doesn't mean no, it means if. And it, it it puts the whole refusal into a kind of an oath. It's like an Old Testament oath. And if you go to the books between Ruth and two kings, you will see that there's this phrase that goes along may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if, if. If I do this, if I don't do that, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely. So Jesus is turning around and he is saying, no, absolutely not. No, because you are trying to get me to do something which simply reinforces the misunderstanding that you have. And he is being extremely forceful about this. We saw it in the response to Jesus. We've seen it, we've sung about it, and and so on and so forth, where Peter, uh, he, he confesses that he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus warns him. But that word, warn, is not really a warn. It's a rebuke. It's a strong rebuke. Because Jesus knows that Peter's got the wrong idea. And if he goes off telling people about this now he's going to just get it all wrong. And it's not a good idea. So he says to him, no, don't do it. And then later on, we find that Peter takes Jesus aside and Jesus has to rebuke him even stronger. and say, no, 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 get behind me, get me back. You've not got the idea at all. Don't go down this this route. It wasn't uh, Peter's plan for Jesus and Jesus had to put him right. Thirdly, Jesus will teach us and help us with our misunderstandings by using everyday parallels. In verse 15, we read in this chapter that Jesus has them in a boat and he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And he's really talking about this this, this interpretation that the Pharisees had of Jesus and that it will pervade their very soul if they let it. Peter already had that in his mind, the disciples had it in his mind, many people at that time had it in their mind that this was the kind of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, don't even entertain it because like yeast in bread, you put a little bit in there, in your head, and it will just spread. Yeah, it'll be like a cancer. Don't Do it. So he teaches us, he rebukes us and he shows us again and again his love toward us. But let's be clear about one thing here. It takes time. It does take time. We read about this healing of the blind man and it doesn't happen straight away like some of the previous uh, miracles. It happens in stages and it takes time. And as Jesus instructs us, as he rebukes us, as he shows us again and again his power within our lives, sometimes it can take time. And that's understandable. But a lot of this will depend on the time we are willing to give Jesus in this. Isn't it interesting that every time we read about Jesus talking to the disciples and trying to teach them and bring them on to give them understanding, he is alone with them. And if we would just spend time alone with Jesus, on our knees, talking, listening, Jesus will spend time with us and we will learn. It may take time, but we'll get there. I love it when Peter, this very same Peter, the one who got it all wrong, the one who said to Jesus, uh, when he was, uh, sorry, the one that um, at the time that Jesus was being uh, in front of the Sanhedrin and, and they were trying to kill him and they were getting set uh, for his crucifixion. And Peter denied him and said he didn't even know him. You know, he was just going downhill all the way here, Peter. This same Peter actually wrote later on, much later on, to the first century churches. And he said this. It's in uh, his second letter. Says this, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter finally understood. It took time, but Peter finally understood what his call was. And what is this call? And that is the last bit of this chapter that we come to. And it's such an important bit. What is this call? Jesus decides that he's going to come straight to the point. And in verses 34 to 37, we read that Jesus gives us three, again, three main ways in which we can understand the mission that Jesus has for us firstly to deny yourself we've got to let go of these ideas our own ideas of who this jesus is get rid of our own misunderstandings and our own roots off in different avenues we must not allow the jesus to be the person of our own making our own interpretation we must come to scripture and find the true jesus We must understand the meaning of the loaves and the fishes and these feeding miracles, that Jesus is the one who supplies our needs. And we need to trust in him. Do you know, we are not asked to feed 5,000. We've never been asked to feed the 5,000. What we've been asked to do is to bring the loaves and the fishes, to bring the meagre resource of our life, whatever that may be, however small it may be, and let Jesus magnify it and show his power through it. And he will do that, irrespective. He will do that. We simply bring our meagre resources to him. We have to take up our cross. That is to make sacrifices for the good of others, just as Christ sacrificed himself for us. We must be more concerned with the fate and the lives of others than of our own. If I might reference um, a TV advert, you have to be prepared to give everybody your last rollo every time, every packet. Yeah. And if you're a youngster here and you don't understand what that means, talk to somebody a bit older. And they will explain it to you. But that is the level of the commitment we are being asked for here. And I know we're online, so I should say that other suites are available. All right. So um, just be aware of that. We must follow Jesus, not try and destroy people around us, not try and rule over them, to laud over them, but to have love and compassion for them. In our dealings with people, are we trying to push our own agendas all the time? Well, stop it. Just stop it. Because that is not the Jesus of the gospel that we are reading here. In Philippians 2, it says this Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And that is following Jesus. I just want to finish very quickly with an illustration to prove a point here. There's a story of a tightrope walker and he walks across Niagara Falls. He's got his pole, he walks across, he gets to the other side and he actually turns around and he walks back. Great. And people are there going, wow, that's something else. Then he throws the pole away, and he walks across again. Turns around, walks back. People are thinking, that's amazing. Look at what he's done. He's done it without the pole. Then he picks up a wheelbarrow, and off he goes again. Turns around, goes back. And they're just stunned. It's like we're going from the feeding of the 5,000, where it's possible to do something, to the feeding of the 4,000, where it's not possible to do anything. This, This guy's amazing. And then he puts some concrete into concrete bags into the wheelbarrow and he goes across an arc of force, turns around and he walks back. And people are saying, That's it. This guy's got to be followed. He's going to be on my TikTok. He's going to be on my Tinder. He's going to be everywhere. This guy is for real. This is a guy to follow. So he says, Do you think I could do that with a person? And they're all going, Absolutely. Absolutely. So then he turns to them and he points to one of them and he says, Excellent, sir. Come this way. <laughs> That's different, isn't it? Yeah? We can see the good that Jesus does. We can be amazed at the miracles that he does. We read of things in the scripture and we go, Oh, yeah, yeah, great. But when Jesus turns around and says, Who do you say I am? Can you put your trust in me? Yeah? Will you get in the wheelbarrow and come across... Or will you just stay on the sidelines and say, well, you know, I believe, but I'm not going there. Yeah. We must commit our whole life to Jesus. We must deny our own misinterpretations, our own ways of doing things. We must take up our cross and be ready to give our last rollo. We must be ready to follow Jesus And that is where we finish this morning. I pray that whatever your interpretation of Jesus is, that you will come to know the real Jesus, the compassionate Jesus, the Jesus who will rebuke us, who will teach us, but who will keep us and will lead us on to eternity. And if you are not sure about any of that, any of what I have said this morning, I pray, I earnestly pray that you will sit down with somebody and talk and pray with them and share your fears, share your misunderstandings and find the compassion of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen. Thank you.